Well, hello, Tessa. Hello, Jesse. Welcome, everyone, to the Spooky Soup Podcast. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tessa. So, uh, remember how you were talking about Blade, the vampire movie? Yeah, I love that movie. Great movie. We binge-watched all three yesterday. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know that they have a new Blade coming out, like, in the next year or two. Mm -hmm. So... I was like, hey, they're all on Netflix right now. Let's let's just binge them. So we did. That's fantastic. You have to tell me, though, what did you think of the opening scene? What about it? What did you think? It was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great great intro. That bloodbath scene yeah, in the rave when they all like start raising their hands and they're dancing to the techno music. That part's so dope. While the blood was raining down. Yeah, yeah. while the blood's raining that down. That was gross, but yes. <laughs> And then she's like, what's wrong, baby? <laughs> she's like covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. uh, but if I could be one of those like monsters, like werewolves, vampires, mummies, Frankenstein, I'd totally be a vampire. I think that would be so cool. Yep. I have be, a hard time with that, though. Cause like, Edward. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying I'm team anyone here, but I just think being <laughs> able to change it to a werewolf would be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not a furry though, so okay. Don't fair. get that mixed up. Fair enough, <laughs> <laughs> guys. Welcome back. It's been a minute since we've posted, just uh, due to some scheduling stuff. But we're back with a new episode today. So we missed you. We hope you're hungry. I'm hungry to not only learn and or get spooked from your stories, but I've been jonesing to share my story today. Ooh, so it's a good one. I'm excited. Want you? kick us off all right listeners so for episode six i decided to go with a classic classic story on the internet okay i'm sure you've heard it before read it before it's called the russian sleep experiment oh i this story when i first uh i actually read this story first before i heard multiple things um later it's weird this is so weird is it true no Lucky, well, that poses a whole other question. (laughs) But basically, to give you a little TLDR, it's what happens to humans who don't sleep for a certain amount of time. Who's ever tested this? Who knows? Let's Mm -hmm. find out. All right, so this comes to you from Creepypasta Wiki, of course. And we'll post it down below in case you want to see any creepy pictures associated. Mm -hmm. All right, so... Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic enough in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and five-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows, you know, just looking into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on, no bedding though, running water and a toilet, and enough dried food to last for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II, and everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised, falsely, that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days straight. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversations took a darker aspect after the four-day mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were, 
and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other and began alternately whispering to the microphones and one-way mirror portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think that they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about his behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather, didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, since they thought it impossible that no sound could be coming from five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door or lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, We no longer want to be freed. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of a loved one, to turn the gas back on. The chamber was opened and soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state of any of them as life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects' thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The deconstruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth, as the researchers initially thought. Wow. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. The abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the ribcage. 
All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor, fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the subjects. The digestive tract of all the four could be seen to be working, currently digesting food. It quickly became apparent that what they were digesting was their own flesh that they ripped off and had eaten over the course of the days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on, lest they fell asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having his testicles ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Ugh, no, thank you. I saw you wince. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives, if you count ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than 10 times the human dose of morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arms of one doctor. One heart was seen to beat for two full minutes after he had bled out to the point there was no more air in his vascular system and no more blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word, more, over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally went silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility, the two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room in the facility that they had. In the process of repairing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. He fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through the four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier holding that wrist was there as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of this test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery, and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly they tried the surgery without anesthetic and did not react for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it would be medically impossible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, 
The subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this might be something of drastic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. It was a simple, keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well, although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asked for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back into the chamber awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers Facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of this project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they put them back with the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for a long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back to the gas. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a good struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was restraining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brain waves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment, his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of a deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flatlines as the one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point-blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed the gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to the bed as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in there with these things, not with you, he screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you, he demanded. I have to know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily, the subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. 
The researcher paused, then aimed the gun at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. So, nearly free. Ew. <laughs> uh, that story gets me every time. I know, right? Have you seen pictures of the subjects? I have. Yeah, yes. They're, they're gross. They're terrifying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll post it on the, uh, if you're on YouTube, you'll see it on the screen here, but um, you can check it out on our Instagram. Um, yeah, it's gross. They look like just zombies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like a skeleton with loose hanging skin on mm-hmm. and like Barely any soulless eyes and just the deepest grin you've ever mm-hmm. seen. Yeah, but I don't know if that's actually... Like, that's just the picture that's been associated with this this story. So (laughs) I don't know if that's a real picture of it, though. But still, it's gross and creepy. Yeah. Just like that story. So, listeners, if you've heard the Russian sleep experiment before, um, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not sorry for telling it to you again. It's a good one. It's one of the ones I revisit, like, every year because I just love it so much. What other tests have the Russians done? I mean, we've all talked, we know, we've heard about, like, what the Nazis did and you know they tried to do testing on twins and um, cloning and stuff like that even supernatural stuff so some people believe that the Dyatlov Pass incident was the result of Russian experimentation mm-hmm. that's right due to the nuclear radiation they found on the bodies right it's all tied in somehow with the Russians which guys if you haven't Listen to that episode yet? It's super good. Jesse told the story of the Dietloff Pass incident in that. I enjoyed it. I thank think you. you will too. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it's a good one. Check it out. I believe it's episode two. Anything else? That's it. That was your. That's my story. story. It's a good story. Oh gosh, I have a good story too. Yeah, this this actually did happen. This is the hyena of Auschwitz. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, I don't think I've heard this before. That's okay, because um, I haven't either. Uh, mostly because this person goes by many names, but this is her most famous name. Okay. Nickname. Okay, so brief explanation. We all know World War II was one of the darkest times in human history. We all know the evil that Adolf Hitler brought to this world. The Nazi ideology is one of them. People were brainwashed into thinking that the Aryan race and the Nazi party were to rule the world no matter what it took. This story is about the hyena of Auschwitz, Irma Gries. Okay. Irma Gries was born into a family of dairy workers on October 7th, 1923. She was the third of five children. When her mother found out about her father's affair with a local pub owner's daughter, her mother sadly took her own life. This was the start to Irma's rebellious life. A terrible way to start childhood. Yeah. At the age of 15, Irma was quickly overcome with the thought of joining the League of German Girls. Another name for that is the Bund Deutscher Medell. I apologize if I'm butchering that. This is a branch of young German girls. So like Hitler's youth type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Okay. Um, Her sisters were part of it too, so she wanted to really be involved. So... Oh, I see. Yeah, so she just wanted to follow in her sister's footsteps, essentially. Uh, Later, with a background in farming, she was sent to work on a dairy farm until the age of 17. Right before her 18th birthday, Irma joined the SS Female Helpers. These are female guards at the concentration camps. 
uh, juvenile detention facilities, and police supervisory services. Her father was against this decision and kicked her out of the family. So her father, you know, he could kind of see the evil that was going on behind it, but Irma didn't care. She just wanted to be a part of it somehow. Terrible. Yeah, she's bad news pretty much. Um, yeah, and she sounds like it too. Only at the age of 18. So and to be that young and that like immersed in this mm-hmm. terrible, terrible way of thinking, I can't even comprehend how that happens. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is I think, I don't think of an 18-year-old as an adult. I surely didn't think I was an adult when I was 18. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no way. way. No freaking way. Not, so, no. These members were not considered full members of the SS until they had passed a medical exam, criminal background check, and a test with questions like, where was Hitler born? What does SS mean? Where did Hitler write his famous book, Mein Kampf? Obviously, this was a Hitler way of brainwashing people to join the Nazi movement. Irma easily passed all of the tests, and soon, after only four days, any kindness that was left in her was cured, in quotes. They trained her to be a heartless person. Thank yous and sorries were no longer part of her vocabulary. Wow. Yep. So for the rest of her 18th year, she was a horrific and cruel officer in the Ravensbrück concentration camp. In March of 1943, at the age of 18 still, Irma was reassigned to work in the very famous Auschwitz concentration camp. To back up a little bit, Irma hated her father for disowning her. In a way, people believed her hatred for her father fueled her anger and work at the concentration camp. Irma was assigned many duties in Auschwitz from working the telephones to organizing a gardening group. So she had a lot of different responsibilities. Um, A second nickname given to her was the Beautiful Beast. With her long blonde hair, crystal blue eyes, other officers and victims of the camp couldn't help but fall for her beauty. She was known for spending countless hours fixing her hair, makeup, and clothes. Irma had a sick way of mentally torturing the victims in Auschwitz. She would wear perfumes to mock the victims into missing their, their old homes. She appeared to them as an angel, but as we know, was the complete opposite. What a horrible human being. Yeah. I don't even think you're human at that point. If you lack any empathy, you're no longer human. Yep. No empathy, but even she was even past that point. She knew what she was doing, too. Yeah. It's not and like she was oblivious. No, exactly. And she was only 18. It's disgusting. So Irma, she absolutely loved to beat those victims in the camp. If you went one step out of line, you would either meet her pistol or her favorite weapon, her trusty whip. She was obsessed with whipping uh, nipples of any woman with breasts larger than hers. It got so bad that these poor women would have to go see Gisela Pearl, the camp doctor, who was also a victim at the camp, uh, to treat the infections they received from the open whip wounds. Oh, wow. So it wasn't like, yeah, I'm just going to whip you and teach you a lesson. It was, I'm going to whip you and make you suffer. Well, the conditions that they're living in, too, infections mm-hmm. just bound to happen for any small type of cut. Lice, anything yeah. like that. Yep. Pearl, the nurse, she recalled the following. I happened to look up and encountered the most horrible sight I have ever seen, the memory of which will haunt me for the rest of my life. Irma Grease was enjoying the sight of this human suffering. Her tense body swung back and forth in a revealing, rhythmical motion. 
Her cheeks were flushed, and her wide open eyes had the rigid, staring look of complete sexual paroxysm. So this is in reference to Irma just, you know, watching these poor women that she attacked Mm -hmm. just suffer. And she's getting satisfaction out of this. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the doctor can see it in her eyes that Mm -hmm. she has no remorse. Terrible, terrible. She did this on multiple occasions so she could relive the sadistic moment repeatedly. She always came to watch the operation of these women whose breasts had been slashed open and had become infected with the lice and dirt which pervaded the woman's camp. Irma Grease invariably arrived to watch the operation, kicking the victim if her screams interfered with her pleasure and giving herself completely to the orgasmic spasms which shook her entire body and made saliva run down from the corner of her mouth. I am so uncomfortable right now. It's about to get worse. Okay. Um, and like, I'm already like, I'm cringing even I though know. I wrote I this. Uh. This is the worst part for me. Okay. When a woman was about to give birth, she would tie the woman's legs together and watch her give birth. She loved it. What? It was like one of her favorite things to do. What? Yeah. It's disgusting. Oh. Yeah. Uh, to make it worse, Irma had two police dogs with her most of the time and they loved to attack anyone Irma would sick them on. One former inmate named Judas Strick said the following. The dogs were tearing at the girls' bodies. Irma came closer to observe what they were doing. Her eyes were bloodshot. The sight of the blood seemed to intoxicate her. She was sexually excited. Everybody could see that. We stood in a trance as at a gladiatorial combat. Yeah, it's quite bad. She found great pleasure in picking who would live or die. As people walked off the train, Irma would be there waiting and watching. This also helps her and her perverse desires. Due to her seniority, inmates could not say no if Irma demanded them to comply to her sexual desires. She became very fond of one female inmate in particular to the point where one would say she was almost in love. However, Irma grew bored of her. Not wanting to be caught, the inmate was sentenced to be killed to hide her homosexual acts. She once tortured a woman while her husband watched in disbelief, not able to help. He denied Irma's sexual advances, so the torturing of the woman was both of their punishments. And uh, I'm kind—I'm a World War II history buff. Like I love lear- learning about it, but you know, we we all know the horrible things that happened at these concentration camps. But it gets so much deeper, so that's why I'm sharing this story. And I know it like, gets upsetting to a lot of you, but at the same time, like this is real, this happened, and it's horrible. Yeah, and, and on that note, I feel like in history class, we just breeze over World War II and all the atrocities that happened. Yeah, like they give us the basics. Like, oh, yeah. we won the war, but, you know, there's concentration camps, and that's fine. You know, like, it's horrible, it's happened. But uh, I love learning about the good and the bad. Unfortunately, this is one of the worst things that I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. On April 17th, 1945, the British Army captured Irma along with other SS officers who decided to not flee uh, the camp. Irma decided to stay because of the man she was in love with. She could not leave his side as he was captured as well. So eventually she fell in love with another officer who was a man, and she just, yeah, she couldn't leave him because he was captured. So... Mm -hmm. She and 44 others were brought to trial. If you'd like to look it up, it's called the Belson Trial. It's a huge thing. It lasted a while. Um, I don't want to go into it, but 
uh, Irma was more concerned for how she looked more than anything else at the trial. She was not phased when they showed her pictures of decomposing bodies. It was as if she was already dead. So she was just pretty much like, like, yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no, I've seen that before. Heck, I did that. There's like desensitized, which is fine as long as you still have empathy mm-hmm. and human emotion. And then there's desensitized to the point where you get thrill out of it. Mm-hmm. Many prisoners were brought to trial to be eyewitnesses, and they testified of all of her horrible acts. Uh, thank goodness that some actually lived to be able to do that. Can you imagine being one of those witnesses, having to tell the court all the terrible things that happened? How traumatic. Yeah, absolutely. Irma Grease was sentenced to death. The night before her execution, she did not sleep. Instead, she was heard singing Nazi songs to keep her awake. The next morning, while standing on a platform lined with chalk, she screamed, Schnell! Irma Grease was hanged for her crimes. She died at the age of 22, the youngest Nazi war criminal ever hanged. Wow. To be 22 and so soulless. I'm glad she's dead. Yep, me too. Uh, 100%. And if you, once again, I'm going to post pictures of Irma. Uh, it's here on our YouTube video and also on our Instagram. You can go check out pictures of her because um, she, she was very pretty. Like they, mm-hmm. like she was nicknamed the beautiful beast as well, and it's true. Like she was beautiful, but unfortunately, just nothing behind those blue eyes. Beauty only goes so far. Yeah, when I when I was reading up on her, I was sick to my stomach, pretty much. Of and this is just a little bit of what she did. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I'm like shrinking in my chair mm-hmm. as you're telling me these stories, especially at the whip story. Mm-hmm. That made me, like, shudder because it's so uncomfortable. Yep. yep. And I know she, these things happen in history. It's just so terrible to read about it later on. It just gets, like, glazed over. No one yeah. really talks about them because they are, like, to be fair, I, I would not want to hear about this as a teenager in, like, in a high school history class. But at the same time, I don't think that these things need to be hidden. So that's, once again, why I'm telling you this story today. Yep. I I agree. I think it's important that things don't get left in the past. Yeah, that's my story. Wow. That was quite the history lesson. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Spooky. Disgusting. <laughs> Spooky. Uncomfortable. <laughs> I, yes, I made everyone uncomfortable, <laughs> and I apologize. Once again, please catch us on YouTube um, if you'd like to listen there. Also on our Instagram to see any pictures that we post regarding the episodes. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll scare you in the next episode. Stay spooky. See ya. Bye.